Good to see all you guys. Uh, this is your first time here. Uh, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team and uh, grateful that you decided to spend a small portion of your Sunday morning here and hope that this place becomes a place that you can call home. Um, we'd love to have you uh, a part of our community here. And uh, if for some reason we're not your place, uh, we'd love to help you find somewhere to be because uh, we believe it's super important to be plugged into a church community to help shape your faith, um, to, to build community, to kind of grow in your, your faith with other people. And, uh, and so it's a big deal to us. And so just so thrilled that you're here. Um, we're in this series called Something is Happening. We, we, we talked about something happened uh, through uh, Easter and just after Easter. And now we're talking about something is happening uh, for the next several weeks together because it's actually what's happening. Like something's happening just throughout uh, our city, um, throughout our country, uh, actually globally even. Uh, when you're taking a look at these movements of God, there's, God's always moving, right? Like no matter what. But during specific times, there's something significant that happens. And so, you, you know, we talked about last week, like, things like uh, the Jesus movement that happened uh, back in the 60s. And, uh, you know, there's like something specific that was like happening uh, in people. And, and, and throughout time, there's always been those moments. And, uh, and now we're on the precipice of something else is happening. We, we're seeing it in different ways. Some people call it a revival. Um, some might call it an awakening. Um, but there's something that is happening. And what's interesting about it, uh, there are these common threads that get woven in to all of these movements. And so what we want to do uh, during the next couple months together is we just want to talk about some of these common threads, what it looks like, and how do we begin to experience it? Because uh, we don't want to miss something, right? We don't want to miss something so significant. How many of you guys hate when like a big story happens and you could have been there, but you missed it, right? Like, you know, and your friends come and they start talking to you about, oh my gosh, you should have seen this and this and this. And you're like, I know, I wasn't there, right? And so what we don't want to have happen is like some people around you start being, can you believe what God did? And you're like, I wish I was there. Here's the thing, you can be. And you can be a, a part of that. And so we're talking about that. And last week we kind of kicked it off saying like that this movement, the, when the church started, uh, they, were, they were in a place in the Roman Empire. And there were some significant things happening within the Roman Empire that made it very difficult for these people. Um, yes, there was a, uh, the ability to have a lot of different beliefs was there. No doubt, right? Um, and, but it was hard when you said this, Jesus is Lord. The second someone said that, um, you immediately put yourself uh, against the Roman Empire and uh, you immediately put yourself into persecution uh, from other people and eventual uh, death. And so it became very difficult for the early church. And, but they were in the Roman Empire. They were making these bold proclamations. They were, they were engaging God in this powerful way and something started to happen there. And they began to experience this incredible movement of Jesus. And so we read about how Jesus came in. He's like, hey, here's what I want you to do. But, but there was a mindset that they had. And, and the way I wrote it down this week was that the early church wasn't concerned with political power because they knew real power comes with the presence of God. So when we just saying like, Holy Spirit, come rest on us. What, what are we saying in that moment? Uh, we're not saying like, hey, just come chill out with us for a little bit. Like, this is cool, right? We're, we're saying, no, no, for the Holy Spirit to come rest on us is because we believe that in the presence of God and the Spirit of God moving in us, like, that's real power. That's real power. And so, um, and, and these guys got to, these men and women got to experience this in such a profound way. And eventually what Jesus says is like, when you experience this kind of power in the presence, you're empowered by the Spirit of God. And then what comes out of us is incredible words, 
Like you start seeing our words start shifting. We proclaim the realities of Jesus, but even in the kindness of our words, the comfort of our words, the, the goodness of our words, the gentleness of our words, like those are spirit-filled things, right? When we're uh, angry in, uh, in angry typing or if we're yelling at someone or if we're popping off at someone for whatever reason that is, um, that is not the spirit of God. Right? You guys know that, right? Like you've never been around someone that's like super mean and, and just vicious with their words, and you're like, hmm, the presence is in you, right? Like you don't want ever, maybe a presence, but just not the presence of God, right? And so, and so we, we, we get that, and we understand that inherently. Um, but what starts to happen is like it comes with our words, then our works and our actions, right? And then there's this unifying element that starts to happen. And so that's what we talked about last week, that that's part of what begins to shift in these movements, Words shift, works shift, unity shifts, and, and why? Because it's all empowered by the Spirit of God. And so I want to add another layer of foundation to uh, this kind of idea of the movements. Um, in the upcoming weeks, um, there'll be like specific things that we're going to talk about, but I think it's really important to have a strong foundation of what this all looked like and started out, out as. Um, and so if you're, not, if you're new to this whole Bible thing, um, today I want to walk us through um, some very important details of the church. Um, how it started, why it started, what was the driving force behind it, and what it means like for the Spirit of God to move in such this powerful, powerful way. And, uh, and so what we're going to read is in the book of Acts, that's where we're spending most of our time in. And so uh, again, there's the Old Testament, the New Testament, the hinge point is Jesus. Uh, and then these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, detail the life and the teachings of Jesus. And then the fifth book in the New Testament is Acts, which details out the start of the church. Um, part of like what we do here, right? This is what it's all related to. And, uh, and so we've been kind of, we're going to be in there for the next couple of months together. But um, have you guys ever had a thought uh, or start thinking about something that it kind of weirds you out? Like, here's what I mean by this. Like, have you ever thought about like eternity for a second? And it's like too big for your brain. Do you know what I mean? Like, all we know is like time, like, we know, like, right now you're like, all right, we're going to be over about, like, 10.05, probably, right? And you, and you know that, right? So, like, you, it can, you can define the time. But eternity, you're like, no, I don't get that, right? Like, it's like a wild, wild thing to talk, to think about. And there's all these different things. Like, uh, you know, like in this room right now, uh, our DNA, we're all, like, 99.6% the same. Isn't that weird? The 0.4% is, does something, right? But, like... It's weird that 99.6% of our DNA is the same. Like, it's a wild, wild thing. Um, Maddie on staff, um, I was asking some of the staff, like, what are things that, like, freak you out? And she goes, what's the deal with the sea? <laughs> you know, like, because, like, 80% of the, the, the ocean is unexplored. Isn't that, because they can't. Like, because of pressure and different things, they, they can't expect, like, 80%. You know, like, you, we get freaked out enough when you go a little too far. You know, that moment in the ocean, you're like, I don't know. You know, um, but like, but like 80% is like, we don't know what's going on down there, right? Like it's a, it's a weird thing. Or, or how about something simple like uh, how our brains uh, don't remember blinking? You will now. Like you'll, you'll recognize like you're blinking now. But like you, you don't, your brains don't remember blinking. Or how about how when you dream, um, you never use technology? Yeah, you don't. See? Yes. You don't ever, like, there's some, they, can't, they can't figure out, they can't figure out why, when, that might be the best thing you heard today. So, um, but they can't figure out why, when we dream, we can't use technology. 
it's like this weird thing. Like it goes, it's just beyond our, our framework of understanding. Well, in today's passage, there's going to be something that we're going to read that goes beyond our understanding. All right? It goes beyond what's like right in front of us, and it's beyond what our brains can like totally handle at all. And so um, we're going to encounter this, this passage where... Um, uh, the, the disciples, all the men and women, is about 120 of them or so, are, are in the upper room. And Jesus had just told them to go there and wait. All right? Now, that in and of itself is a big command. How many guys just love to wait? Right? Yeah. So, so Jesus says, hey, go and wait. Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. To so go and wait. And so 120 or so uh, men and women go up and they gather in this upper room and, and they wait. And they trust and Jesus, because remember last week we said, like, who has all authority? And, and Jesus does. And so these people are like, we believe you have authority, Jesus, so we're going to wait on what you said. So they go in the supper room and, and they wait. And uh, they're celebrating Pentecost. And, and now uh, when we talk about Pentecost uh, in the Christian faith, it's, it's 50 days after Easter. So it's 7-7. Seven, seven. So 7 is a perfect number. Um, and uh, so it's 7-7. Seven, seven. So it's double perfection. All right, it's how we see it now. Now, you might be thinking, like, Wags, that's 49, not 50. It's the next day, okay? It's like kind of you complete the double sevens, and then it's Pentecost, and that's how we uh, think about it. Um, but back then, Pentecost was, was one of the big festivals where um, all the Jewish people who have been scattered to all of these different regions uh, around Jerusalem, um, because in 586 B.C., the diaspora happened uh, because of the Babylonian Empire, and, and, and the Jews got spread out everywhere. And, uh, and so, but they would gather, they would come back for these festivals into Jerusalem to be in the temple and near the temple because it, it's where the temple is, is the presence of God, okay? And it's where you experience something. So they would all come back and they would come back for these festivals. And there were three big ones, harvest festivals that they would come back for, pa uh, Passover in the spring, um, Sukkot in the fall, and in the middle was Pentecost. And so they were, they were doing this. Now for a Jewish person, uh, Pentecost was uh, when Moses... Uh, received the Torah, the word of God at Mount Sinai, okay? So these are all like significant details when we, we begin to approach this story. So if you're brand new uh, to this whole Bible thing, um, we're gonna, I'm gonna probably overload you a little bit, but I want you to like kind of get clued into what's happening. If you're familiar with the Bible, you're probably familiar with this passage, but this is a passage that uh, if we don't know some of the details, we miss out on actually what Luke is talking about. All right, so we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. And I want you to see something cool that happens in the upper room. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together uh, in one place. All right, so even like this idea of a unifying element, this gathering of people is significant. We start seeing this so frequently. So even something like this. The gathering of people in one place is significant. Sometimes people are like, you know, a church thing, I don't know. Like, I just kind of come in and out of it. It's not that big of a deal. I do my faith on my own. And, and like, I understand sometimes because of hurt or whatever, trying to figure things out. Cool. Process everything. All right, great. But don't ever undermine the significance of one place. Something happens with one place when people come together. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, this feels like a weird story. 
right? Like if uh, we were all gathered in one place and people were on fire, you, you probably would look to the person next to you and be like, you're on fire, right? And what do you say to someone's on fire? Stop, drop, and roll, right? Like, yeah. And, um, and so, but, but not these guys. Everyone's on, like the first holy rollers, right? Like everyone's on, on fire, like right now. And, and they see this kind of what, this like, oh, this, this tongue's of fire. And so even when you read something like this, it's easy to get focused on the fact that they started to speak in other languages, okay? Now, they were, they were the, the dialects of the people that were there, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, and it kind of feels like, whoa, what a crazy story. And like, man, when the spirit comes, could I speak in Spanish all of a sudden or French or whatever, you know? And, and it's like, is, is that what's being described here? You see, if we miss out on what Luke's trying to do here, we can take this story and make it prescriptive of something rather than descriptive of what happened. And so Luke here is, um, Luke is not a news reporter. So Luke is not sitting there being like, here, I'm at Channel 8, and here's I am, you know, and I'm like detailed with it. Luke is a historian. And that's very, very important in this story. He's a historian. And so when he is uh, writing, he is describing something to clue us into something that's actually way bigger. And you might be thinking, how could something be bigger than apparently fire being on the heads of people and speaking in other languages, right? That feels plenty big on itself. But what Luke is trying to do is like, it's not really about that per se. It's about something bigger. It's about something that you, you got to clue into or else you're going to miss it. And so um, what were the things that Luke talked about? A violent what comes in? Wind, right? And then what is sitting apparently on their heads? Fire, right? And so right there, it's going like, why would he describe it as wind and fire? I mean, those are interesting terms and, and a way to, 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 to figure out what, what's happening here. And so what Luke is doing here, he's trying to clue the, the, the listener in and be like, hey, you know what wind and fire is. And when the spirit moves, like, you're part of it. Now, to us, we don't talk about wind and fire in this way a lot, okay? Um, but to an early church person, an early Jew that would have been in this moment, they hear wind and fire, and all of a sudden, all these things start going off for them. Whoa, wind and fire, wind and, whoa, wind and fire. And the reader would be like, yes, wind and fire. And they're like, wind and fire? And like, wind and fire, okay? To us, we go like, and wind and fire came through the room. Something else was going on that was so, so significant. If we don't know, we'll miss out on what Luke is actually trying to do here. So Luke is actually plugging into what came before him in many hundreds of years before him with, with wind and with fire. With wind, all right? So the, the wind of God um, is, is the same word as like the spirit of God. And we first encounter this in Genesis chapter 1, when the Spirit of God, the words Ruach, when the Ruach, the wind of God comes down, it hovers over the waters. Well, in the creation story, this is that, man, like there was chaos and there wasn't any order to the world. It was just darkness around us. But when the Spirit of God, the wind of God came in, it began to create an opportunity for order to happen, structure to happen, but also the ability for new creation to be entered in. And so the wind, the Spirit of God comes in and, and does something very significant. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, it talks about how uh, um, when uh, humans were created, it says that, that God breathed, he put his breath in them. 
And that's what sprung them to life. So, so get this, like before that, they were just bodies that were just there. And without the breath of God, the spirit of God, you're nothing but a body. But the spirit of God, when it comes breathed into us, it brings us to life. So this wind, this breath is all uh, associated in this together. In Genesis chapter 8, it talks about uh, um, how the wind of God, the spirit of God, and this is during the flood story that you guys have probably heard about before, um, that that the wind of God pushes back the waters. And so it, what, what's it doing? It's, it's saving people. It's preserving life. It's, it's, it's bringing the, the ability for new creation to happen. It's pushing back the waters. We see this. And so I wanted to write some of these down for you. So, so in Job 27, it's the, um, as Job is describing it, uh, I think it's in verse 3, it says that the, uh, the wind is in my nostrils is what brings me life. And so in the same way, so we see the wind and all through Scripture. Now Listen. The wind and the spirit of God is used over 370 times in the Old Testament. So this is no, like, a lot of times people are like, you know, the spirit of God comes after Jesus is, like, doing his thing. And, uh, and then the spirit of God comes. And it's like, no, 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 no. The spirit of God in the wind of God has been doing things for a very long time. And the Bible has actually talked about it frequently. Like, over 370 times it talks about the wind of God doing something in the Old Testament. The presence of God. There's something bigger that's going on. And so we see it in, in the upper room that the wind brings life. It's a new creation. New creation. Right now, you can imagine. I mean, think about this for a second. Like, the chaos that would have been around those disciples. Like, they saw Jesus die. Then they see him come back. And everyone's like, man, no one else really knows about the, except for these 120 people. And he just tells them to go in this upper room and to wait on him. And it's like, man, things are going wild right now. And it's chaotic. But the Spirit of God comes in. And we start seeing immediately after this. Next week, we'll kind of take the next step in the story. But you start seeing that all of a sudden this order starts happening. It's chaotic, but it's bringing things to order and some structure and some the ability for new creation and new life begins to happen. Um, fire. Uh, is another significant thing that we see in uh, the Old Testament. Fire is, the first thing, time we see fire is in the uh, story of Moses with the burning bush. And so uh, it's a story where this guy named Moses comes up, he's in the desert, and he sees this bush that isn't burning up. It's just fire. And he's like, well, why? As any of us would, right? You see a bush that isn't burning up, and it's on fire, and it's like, why isn't that bush burning up? So he approaches the, the bush, and, and what it begins to say is that the presence of God is in the fire. And that when Moses comes up there, it's like, hey, you're standing on holy ground. You're in the presence of God. There's something that's happening. And so fire and wind become these descriptors of the presence of God. It becomes the, the, the way that people begin to describe this incredible movement, this incredible thing that's, that's happening. Uh, in Exodus 19, there's a, a fire over the tabernacle um, that happens. I actually have like a, a, a little picture of like, this would have been described the fire would sit, um, people in tents everywhere, and they would set up the tabernacle, which kind of was a precursor to the temple, and that the fire of God would be ranging on top of this. So you see, even in this picture, it just gives you a little bit of a visual of the fire setting on the head of the tabernacle. And so all of a sudden, when Luke describes the fire being on the heads of people, what is he describing? He's describing this. 
And so it is making the story incredibly big. And so going back, it says in uh, Exodus, so I don't have this up there, but just after Exodus uh, 19, where um, the tabernacle happens, they, they're given the word of God. Um, soon after that, um, Moses is having these interactions at Mount Sinai uh, with God. And at one point, he's up there and uh, gets the Ten Commandments that we've heard about. And then he comes back down, and the people were supposed to be waiting for Moses to come. And so, so get this, you see like the, the, the essence of humanity here. At one point, the people are like, what's going on? And I want you to, to hear me like this part because you'll see this in this story in Acts. The people are like, what's going on? Where's Moses? Like, what does all this mean, right? And they're waiting and all of a sudden they're like, you know what? Maybe this stuff doesn't work. Hey, Aaron, will you build a golden calf? Do you guys remember this story? All right, will you build a golden calf, right? What ends up happening is they didn't wait on God, and they had this moment of trying to figure out what was happening. And then in their humanity, they're like, you know what? God's taking too long. Moses is taking too long. And I know his presence is here somewhere, but I want to do my own thing. Or we want to do our own thing. And so they build this golden calf, a different God to bow down to. And there's a lot to that story. But what ends up happening right after that is 3,000 of them are killed because of their, their sin and everything, right? There's, there's this big thing that happens um, in the community. So 3,000 of them die. That number becomes significant, um, and I'll show you why here in just a minute. So we saw this. In, in Leviticus 9, a fire with Aaron, who is Moses' brother, and, uh, and his sons comes down in, when they're in the presence of God. First Kings 8 and Second Chronicles 7, uh, with the temple, the building of the temple, it talks about uh, the fire coming down, and it actually says wind and fire coming uh, into the temple, um, represents the glory of God, all right? So, so the glory, uh, if you, you guys ever heard the glory of God before? Anyone heard that phrase? Okay, here's what glory means, the weight. Like, you, you, you're like, oh, like, I feel the weight of this moment. You ever been in a little moment like that? You feel like this is a daunting moment. This is like a really big deal. Like, this is well, I feel the weight of this moment. That is the, the glory of the moment. And so the wind and the fire are representing the, the weight of God. So when in the Old Testament, when I talk about that the, the wind and the fire would come through in the presence of God, here's what they're experiencing. The weight of who God is. Something so big, so significant. And it's like, so Luke is writing this we get distracted with the speaking in other languages. Is that significant? Yes. But we get distracted because we miss out and Luke's like saying like, no, there's something so much bigger going on for your life. There's so much, something so much bigger that I want you to see the, and feel the weight of all of this. The story uh, continues on in, in verse 5. It says, now they were staying in Jerusalem uh, and God-fearing Jews from every nation uh, under heaven. Uh, when they heard this sound, right, this sound is like this big, thunderous sound. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these uh, who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Uh, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia, uh, Pamphylia, e uh, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring, look at this, the wonders of God in our own tongues. This part, don't forget that part. 
at this moment, something significant happens. You got all these people from all of these different regions that are listed out here. And, and, and they're scattered for, for uh, um, as I said earlier, they got scattered into all these different regions because they were put into exile by the Babylonian Empire like uh, in 586 BC. And, and so they're, they're scattered, but they all come together in this moment and this big scattering that had happened, they're like, hold on a second. We're hearing the wonders of God. The wonders of God. Let me ask you this. How often do you talk about the wonders of God? How often, when you're just talking about your faith, and you're describing church to people and why you go to church, you're describing why you're a Christian, how often do you talk about the wonders of God? See, we oversimplify this stuff way too easily. We do things, you know, just raise your hand, and you're good, right? It's like, no, 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 hold on a second. This is about the wonders of God. You see, we live our lives thinking we're in control, don't we? We live our lives thinking like we're the masters of our own fate and all these different things, and we think, uh, you know, we got everything figured out and all that stuff. It's like, no, 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 hold on a second. They're hearing about the wonders of God. There's something bigger here, something that's stirring inside of us. So even at this point in the passage, Luke is trying to get us clued into something even bigger than this. So here's what it looks like when they all got dispersed. All right, so when everyone got dispersed, they got dispersed into all these different areas. You see Jerusalem there um, at the centering point. And then all the places that uh, Luke is describing are are all right there. And you kind of see them uh, on the map. So everyone kind of just goes in all these different places. They're scattered everywhere, but they come to gather back to get back to the temple. They always got to get back to the temple because the temple is the presence of God. And it's like, man, we got to get back. We got to get back and celebrate. And it comes, and then in this moment, something significant happens. The Spirit of God moves in a powerful way and they begin. Now whether, uh, there's two different theories here. That the people that were there, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people hearing this, okay? One theory is that the people literally started speaking in the dialects of the people, all right? So if we've got French over here and Spanish over here and German over here, it's like, all of a sudden, I started speaking German, someone else is speaking Spanish, and someone else is speaking French, and you're hearing all the wonders of God in this moment. That's one, one possible explanation. Another possible explanation is, is, is they kept speaking, but the people just heard in their own dialect, basically. Okay, so there's two possible things that were transpiring in this moment. But they're hearing about the wonders of God. All these people have been dispersed, and all these different areas are hearing about in their own dialect something significant. Now, why does this matter, though? Like, why do they even the list of the places even matter? Again, Luke is trying to get us to see something way bigger is going on here. So, go back to the Old Testament. I know you guys are getting a lot, but you're in it. So, what Luke is describing is the first great scattering of people is in Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. And what ends up happening is, is, is humans started to build this tower, the story goes, and they wanted to be God. Well, in the midst of that, God's like, well, this ain't going to happen. And so he scatters all the people and actually confuses them with their languages, okay? And so they get scattered everywhere. But here in the upper room, what's interesting is that those that were um, uh, scattered are now united. 
And so what God's doing here in this moment is he's, he's taking a story and he's redeeming it with his spirit. And we begin to see, like, this is what he does with our story. He takes our story when we get scattered and he redeems it. And then he, across this room right now, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories, scattered stories that God is bringing together and redeeming it. The confusion of different languages in Genesis chapter 11. He's unifying the message through the languages. And so, like, God's taking something that was scattered and confused people through languages, and then now God's taking it and redeeming it and being like, I'm going to use the scattered language. Again, something bigger is going on. Genesis chapter 12 um, was the promise to this guy named Abraham uh, and, and, and that, they were, that his people were supposed to be a light to the nations, all nations, Jew and Gentile. A light to the nations. The people didn't do that. And so the areas that are listed here um, are, are the same kind of nations in areas that, that was supposed to start off everything. So God's redeeming even that part of the story. Isaiah 11, the Spirit of the Lord comes and works in the, in the Savior that's coming. It's describing, uh, Isaiah was a prophet of the Old Testament, and describing the coming Savior, Messiah, that was going to come. In Isaiah chapter 11, it lists out the areas that are going to be reached. The same areas that, that Luke lists out there are the same areas in Isaiah chapter 11. Again, the story is massive. It's massive. Joel 2, another prophet, he says, The Spirit, when the presence of God, the Spirit falls, sons and daughters will prophesy. In Acts chapter 2, it is men and women who are prophesying. Uh, and here's a couple of things. Burning bush in Mount Horeb or uh, Mount uh, Sinai. Um, in the upper room there on Mount Zion. Uh, the thunder in Exodus is the Greek word for tongues and uh, is also the same word for, for, num uh, for thunder. Um, they established the tabernacle in the temple in the Old Testament. Now what's happening is there's a living temples now. In the period so, so rather than there being a centering point of the temple, guess who, guess who the temples are? The people. So now rather than everyone having to come back, now everyone has the presence of God inside of them and now they're going out. It's so significant. 3,000 were killed, as I said earlier in Exodus chapter 32 at the golden calf. You'll hear next week um, when Peter talks, 3,000 are saved. And so there's all these different things. And I mean, I get it. Totally get it. I geek out on this stuff and you may be like, I don't care. <laughs> That's fine. This story about who God is is massive. This story about the presence of God and what it means for your life is massive. You can't get this anywhere else. Try finding this in work. You don't, you don't get that, right? You don't get this because you, you don't get the fullness and how big all this stuff is. Like, think about this. Luke is describing the reality of, man, when we engage and want to um, experience the truth of who God is, we begin to say, like, all right, Jesus, you are Lord and you have authority in my life. And it's like, you get to experience the presence of God in your life in such a deep and profound way if you open yourself up to it. And that spirit of God is tied into something that's incredibly big, this new creation, this new life, this, this new people. And, and here's what I love about this story, too, because I want you to see the humanity, because this is what will happen today. What we're about to read will be the same thing that will happen today, because this is humanity. 
Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some of you are going to be in that space today. You're going to say, uh, I have diminished the reality of the Spirit of God in my life such a way. But man, now that I'm hearing this, I want to know more. And I want to, I want to see this. I want to know what this means. I want to experience this. Like, like my whole life, I, I, or, or for some of my life, I've just I've been felt like I've been doing my own thing, but there's something so powerful that's happening here, and I want to experience it. God's been like churning something in my heart, and I want to experience this. What does this all mean? And I'm amazed by the reality of it. And then some of you will be, verse 13. Some of them made fun of them and said they have too much wine. Is this not the human condition? Whatever the too much wine descriptor is, you just you throw in a whole other, you know, ah, they're, they're a bunch of foolish people, or they don't know what they're talking about, or, or man, they're just like, man, they've been duped by whatever, right? You're going to have some people who are going to be in that camp, and you're going to have some people here today that are like, man, when you just sang set a fire in my soul, like I, there's something that was like seeping into the very core of my being. There, there's something there. And you realize in the emptiness of what this world has to offer and that what God can do. It's like, no, I, <laughs> I want to know about the wonders of God. You know, Einstein uh, said this. He, he said, imagination is more powerful than knowledge. And, and I think what we do with God sometimes is we've lost our imagination. We've lost our ability to like grasp onto the wonder of God. And we try and like boil this thing down to, to make it uh, so simplistic. I, I, I love simplicity of faith to some degree. But we try and make this thing like so simple as if we can control it. As if we can control the spirit of God. That's a silly thing, right? But it's like, I want us to feel like part of why I wanted this to, to like get into the weeds today. Because I wanted you to hear and feel and know that like this whole faith thing and Jesus thing. Is there a simplicity of Jesus as Lord? Absolutely. And do you have the simple uh, decision to make yes or no to that? Absolutely. That is simple. But I also want you to appreciate the wonder of God. And, the, and, and we should like be in amazement and awe. Even like when we read scripture like this, like just be like, I can't, I can't believe how brilliant these writers were to tie stuff in like this and trying to get us to clue into the wonder and the imagination of who God is. You know, sometimes we get stuck um, in believing our worst moments, our, uh, our regrets, our mistakes as defining parts of our identity. The reason we get stuck there, um, or one of the reasons, I should say, not the only one, but one of the reasons we get stuck there is because we've lost our imagination of what God can do. You can redeem your story. You might be in such great suffering and pain right now. And sometimes we can get stuck in that because We've lost our imagination about the wonders of God because we've tried to make God this big. But it's a bigger story. The question I want you to wrestle with here, and then we're going to sing one more song. Have I lost my ability to imagine what God can do? That's what I want you to think about. Have I lost my ability to imagine what God can do.
next year when we vote, a lot of people are going to freak out. You know why? Lost the imagination of what God can do. When we live in fear, we lose our imagination of what God can do. When we buy into shame and guilt and allow those be, to become identity markers, we, we lose our imagination to what God can do. When we think the church is dying, we're losing our imagination of what God can do. When we try and shrink God into this little tiny box, we're losing our imagination of what God can do. We've forgotten the wonders of who he is. So when you think about politics, money, sexuality, time, relationships, can you imagine what would begin to like reshape in us if we didn't lose our imagination of what God can do. We're going to sing a song about um, gratitude. And, uh, you know, there's this part of the song that just talks about, like, we're going to throw up our hands. Well, that was a hallelujah, right? And then there gets to another part of the song where um, it says, so come on, my soul, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Because you got a line inside of you, right? That's what it talks about. I don't want you to think about a, an actual line. I want you to think about a holy roar that's inside of you that can only come out, honestly, when we, our imaginations come back about what God can do. See, what life does is tries to diminish the roar, the voice of God inside of us, right? The presence of God inside of us. But there's, it's there. It's there if you will allow it to be. If you're willing, if you're willing to be like, mm, I want to tap back into the wonders of God because that reshapes everything. So I'm asking you guys to just bow your heads. The band's going to come up and just want you to sit with this for a second. Maybe God's speaking to your heart. Maybe he wants you to have your imagination back. There's something in stern inside of you that life has put down too much. So just sit with that for a minute. 